It's a 2023-2024 season preview of the Cleveland Cavaliers next on The Dime. You are now listening to The Dime with Josh and Quab, your go-to NBA podcast. Subscribe on Apple, follow on Spotify, and be sure to hit up the YouTube channel for video content. And now your hosts, Josh and Quab. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Dime. Today, we are previewing the 2023-2024 Cleveland Cavaliers with the co-host of the Chase Down podcast. Everybody, please welcome to The Dime for the first time, Justin Rowan. Justin, what's up, man? How's it going? Thank you so much. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I I, I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk some Cavs and preview what what I think is going to be a really exciting season. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good season for the Cavs as well. I found Justin. I was listening to Cavs podcast. Wanted to get a good guest for you guys, and he made me laugh and Seemed very professional. I was like, I got to get this guy on. Um, he wanted to talk some Cavs basketball. So he said his last episode. So here you go, Justin. Here's your chance to talk I about your you. Team. I love this. I, I, <laughs> I, I completely bamboozled you. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's let's get started with the segment we like to call pole dancing. You know you want it. It's time to go pole dancing. Get your mind out the gutter. We're talking about Twitter polls. My goodness. <laughs> All right, I put up three polls on our Twitter account. This is how you responded. First question, the Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland backcourt ranks blank in the East. First, second, third, fourth, or higher. Coming in at first at 40% was it ranks first in the East. Coming in second was second, it ranks second in the East with 30%. And coming in third is they rank fourth or higher at 20%. And in last place was they rank third with 10%. So everybody who answered in the poll thinks that this is the best backcourt in the East. Justin, what do you think? I think so as well. Um, I, I was going to go with that, w- whether or not that was the consensus, because one, I'm a homer. And two, I, I just think it is, right? Like when you look at the Eastern Conference, I, I think the number two backcourt that I kind of would have in mind is Trey Young and DeJounte yeah. Murray. And what to me, what separates the Cavs backcourt is I feel like they play so well off of one another, right? Like they're individually great, but they work so well as a tandem. Whereas the Hawks, they're still in that process of figuring things out, right? Like both of them really want to have the ball in their hands. Jante's not really a spot-up threat. Darius Garland's ability to play on and off ball is really special. And when you look at other kind of top backcourt players in the Eastern Conference, someone like Tyrese Halliburton, there just isn't really that proven number two uh, alongside him. So I, I think both how well they play together and how good they are individually probably gives the Cavs kind of the the edge right now as best backcourt in the Eastern Conference. Were you worried at first about the about the fit when the trade was first announced? I wasn't worried about the fit, but my concern about it was basically in the NBA, you really only get that one chance to go all in with yeah. like all your picks and all that kind of stuff, right? Like that's the way it goes. And for me, like you're obviously upgrading when you're going from Colin Sexton to Donovan Mitchell. But you still have concerns, right? Like it, it is still a smaller backcourt and you still have that hole at, at the small forward position. So that was more my concern. But I, I really was confident that Darius Garland's ability to play on and off ball um, was going to make it easy to integrate another star into the mix. And I think the fact that his stats basically stayed the same while putting in someone like Donovan Mitchell um, and, you know, helped Donovan Mitchell have the most efficient and best year of his career. Um, I think that's a real feather in his cap, and I'm interested to see how that partnership evolves. Yeah, they played really well together, and it kind of surprises me. Like when you look at the stats, they played with the slowest pace in the league last year, and that really yeah. surprised. Like, how is? <laughs> do you expect them to play faster next year? I, I know this is a season preview, so next year, like, is that something you want bigger staff to kind of implement, like them running a little more, or are you cool with the slow pace? 
Yeah, I, I think JB wants them to run more. Uh, he like he's joked about it that hey, I I want the like to play a slow pace because that you know that's a hot button topic when it comes to the Cavs. Yeah. But when you actually watch him in the game, he's cycling his arms right. Like he's telling them to get up and down <laughs> the field. Let's go. Up and down the Come court. On. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> let, let's speed this up a little bit. Yeah. And we actually just dove into this on, on our, our most recent episode of the Chase Down, which was. The Cavs, especially after Isaac Okoro came in the starting lineup, they were 16th in terms of transition frequency. But And even for the season, they were 19th, but they're still dead last in pace. To me, that means they are taking way too long in the half court. Mm. They're going way too late in the shot clock. And to me, that comes down to Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell to really kind of get them into their sets earlier. Because I, I think, especially when you look at some of their issues late in the shot clock and things like that, I think that's because they just don't give themselves enough time. So I do expect the the pace to pick up a little bit. I think having guys like Max Drews and George Niang that are willing to take contested and quick shots and pull-up shots in transition, all that kind of stuff can really elevate your pace. Because when you look at the difference between dead last and top 10 in pace, it's five possessions over the course of a game. So in a 24-second shot clock scenario, a couple more quick shots, a, a, a little uh, more speed in the half court can really elevate where you are in those ranks. All right, so that's a good transition to question number two. What letter grade would you give the Cavs offseason moves? Coming in at first was a letter grade of C at 50%. Coming in second was a letter grade of B at 33.3%. Coming in at third was a letter grade of A at 16.7%. No one gave you an F. Um, what letter grade would you give the Cavs offseason moves? You know, you, you got a real smart audience here. I, I, I mostly <laughs> agree with them. I, I would go B. Um, okay. I, I don't think you can ever really get an A if you're not bringing in like a star level guy, right? Um, but the Cavs had very limited resources to work with, right? Like we, they really only had that mid-level exception. You had Karis LeVert, uh, who I think they signed uh, for, you know, a, a great deal. There's still some sticker shock when you look at like what these guys sign for, and it's going to take myself and all NBA fans time to get adjusted to it. But when you look at it as a percentage of the cap, yeah, what uh, Karis Levert and Max Drew signed for is less than J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert got <laughs> when the Cavs won a title. Right. It's less than Channing Fry got the year that they won uh, on that contract that he was on. Right. So like that it's just a totally different dynamic now and i think being able to you know maybe go a little bit over the mid-level exception to get max Struess, yeah and then still keeping that in your back pocket to add george niang that was not something that i expected them to be able to do and uh, i think you know adding a six five guard like ty jerome someone that you know not super dynamic but he's got size he, he's a good offensive player um gives you another option you can go to in the backcourt like if you're starting two short guards, having that third guard being someone that's 6'5", that, that gives you a little bit of offensive juice and size, I think that's really important. So I I, I feel like a B, B-plus is definitely where I'd go. Uh, we're going to touch on um, the playoff series a little bit later, but one of the main issues you guys had during the Knicks series was the three position and shooting. Do you feel like they made an ad- adequate, like with the sign-ins, they made an adequate response to all those problems? I think adequate's probably the right word, right? Okay. Like they didn't hit it out of the park. Like there, there is no big three and D wing that's available when you only have the mid-level exception to work with, right? Like th- those players are rare and they rarely hit free agency. Um, I do think that they added enough spacing around them that you can properly evaluate the core that you have. And I think that's really, really important because the Knicks really 
overcommitted on taking away the the pick and roll uh, ball handler and roll man uh, away from the Cavs just because they didn't respect the spacing they had around them. And I, I just don't think you're going to be able to do that with Max Struess and George Niang. Struess killed the Knicks in that series uh, I'm against the Miami. Miami, bro. This is <laughs> like, like and, and the funny thing about Max Struess is you look at him over the last two years, he was in the fourth percentile in terms of how many shots of his were open. Yeah, he takes nothing but contested Just shots. Stretch, so yeah. either his shot quality is about to improve or the shot quality of Mitchell, Garland, Mobley and Allen is going to improve. So I, I think they have more versatility and I think you have a better ability to analyze exactly what this core is do they work together because you have the right role guys around them this question actually is uh kind of like a podcast inside joke we have to ask you because we're talking about max Struess. do you believe in heat culture is it real is it <laughs> is, is max Struess gonna turn into a pumpkin, <laughs> into a pumpkin once, he, once he puts on the controversy <laughs> I, look, I, I don't think he all of a sudden he's going to forget how to shoot because <laughs> jersey went from red to wine. I don't worry about that. But I think heat culture is absolutely real, man. The accountability, yeah. you know, uh, getting these guys in the right environment, work ethic, okay. all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't think this is like I think people equate it to like when guys would play for the Spurs and yeah. teams would sign role players yeah. in the Spurs and all of a sudden they turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit different because you look at those Spurs teams, it was nothing but quality looks for those guys, you know, playing off of Duncan, Ginobili, Parker. Max Struess is hitting tough, contested <laughs> shots. I don't think all of a sudden he's going to shoot worse on open oh, looks. Like that, that, that's not how this With works. Shot clock, I'm having flashbacks. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can hear the PTSD uh, cracks in your voice. Oh, there as he's yeah, doing that I, I just, he hit one shot from like 35 feet out with the shot clock running down with like a hand in his face, like RJ. Bad. I'm just like, this, this series is over. It's game two, but the series is over. I know it's over. <laughs> it's amazing the trauma that a right? short playoff series can have right. on you. Like I'm, I'm watching Team Canada basketball, and anytime RJ misses an open three, I'm like, "Where was that?" <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're from Canada. You live in Canada. I forgot about that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's doing okay for you now, so you could root for him now. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he'll turn great, back into great game against Slovenia. Shout out to him. <laughs> All right. And question number three: The 2023-2024 Cleveland Cavaliers are blank. Coming in at first is a playoff team at 57.1%. Coming at second was an Eastern Conference contender at 28.6%. Coming in third, which I found kind of interesting, um, was lottery team, but I spelled it lotter. I forgot the Y. So a lotter team at 14.3%. <laughs> no one said they're a championship contender. Justin, how would you have answered this? And do you think there's a chance that they could become a championship contender if that's not your answer? I don't think I can necessarily put them in a championship contender because I just like I have so much respect for the process, right? Like okay. experience matters so much in the NBA and like going into the the playoffs last year and even throughout the year, like I would consider myself an optimistic fan. Like I like to talk about what I think is realistic and then I'm like maybe five to 10% above like the, the realistic kind of medium outcome all year. We said, yeah, they have the metrics of a contender, but they're not one. They're they're going to fall apart. They're going to have a stupid series. They're going to beat themselves in a lot of ways. We still don't have like the right rotation guys around them. It's going to take time. This is the first year where I think now you can kind of have them in that dark horse uh, category. Okay. And I, I think I think it's possible for them to maybe make an Eastern Conference Finals run. So I think you, maybe you'd call them an Eastern contender in that way. 
Um, especially you look at like Philly getting worse. I don't yeah. really like what Boston did. I, th- I think that there's a path available to them. And, and Milwaukee beats themselves exactly. every other year in the yeah. playoffs. So you, you have to factor that in. I don't know if I, I can see them winning a title, but I do think, you know, taking a major step forward. I expect them to win a round, uh, be competitive in the second round. And I, I, I kind of feel like Eastern Conference Finals is their ceiling. Right. Who the hell voted lottery team? I don't that's, know. That's the part I'm, I'm the just hater. like. Well, maybe they were voting lotter. Like there, yeah, there might be a definition of lotter that I just don't know about. We so we, we shouldn't really dismiss that's this. People might just uh, you have enough, a more robust vocabulary than we do. All right, so let's finish. That's done with pole dancing. Let's move on to the actual season preview. Before we do that, though, I, I do want to talk about the series about the Knicks, not to gloat, but just like to get your perspective because just yeah, just be complete transparent. I'm a huge Nick fan. The Knicks winning in five shocked the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. Um, the, to me, I thought it was a toss-up. I picked the Knicks in seven strictly probably just because I'm a Knicks fan. It was some homerism in me. But if the Cavs won in six, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. What what went wrong Like from, from a Cavs fan perspective? Because I saw it from a Knicks fan perspective, and I judged it on one series, but you saw the team throughout the whole season, and then you saw the playoff mm-hmm. series. Like, What was the difference between the Cavs in the regular season and the Cavs in the playoff series against the Knicks? Yeah, I, I think when you look at the Cavs last year, they were a team that had a good fastball, right? Like they had one, like a really effective action that they they ran, which a lot of it, you know, it's the split cuts, like really borrowing from like that Warriors and Heat playbook and using Mobley in that BAM role. Um, and the thing we talked about all year was if you have a team that's built around backcourt production, the only teams that win with that have some sort of front court playmaker, whether that's a Draymond Green, whether that's LeBron, uh, you, you know, even when Toronto, when you had Kawhi Leonard and Pau Gasol, that, or Pau, Marc Gasol, <laughs> sorry, I was just, I was just watching some awful takes about how Christian Wood is Pau Gasol. Oh my God. Oh no. I saw that. I saw that. I, I'm not even Richard, Richard, Richard Sherman, Richard, Richard Sherman. Sherman. Richard, he even oh skipped this like, Eyes being like, oh, oh god, this, yeah. this, this, this is a bit too much. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyways, you always had that front court playmaker, and, and you look with Mobley in that series in particular. He had an awful series yeah. offensively. Like he, he averaged zero point zero eight points per possession in the pick and roll. He went over ten uh, as a role man in that series, and the decision making wasn't there. Yeah. And credit to the Knicks. Um, obviously, you know they forced him to try to be a scorer in those situations. They took away all of his non-scoring options. And I think that extra half second of thinking about it threw him off. Uh, Obviously, you know, even the adjustments that Tibbs made of, you know, after game two, having a guard screen um, for uh, Jalen Brunson rather than having Mitchell Robinson, all of a sudden that meant that Jared Allen had to come up and contest whoever was getting past the point of attack defender, taking him out of position to defend uh, Mitchell Robinson, to put a body on him, generating those second chance opportunities. Like the Knicks offense, you look at it, they had a 2.7 offensive rating in the half court for that series, even factoring in the offensive rebounds. That was horrible. They were not an efficient offense, but they took the Cavs out of what they did well offensively, and the Cavs just didn't have the versatility to play multiple styles. Now, I think if you play the series over again, it probably goes longer um, the the majority of the time. I think those issues are still going to be there, and and I think uh, the the Knicks win the the series a a lot of the time as a result of that. But, you know, like even if, like, Donovan Mitchell... uh, he takes a lot of contested shots, and as a result of that, you kind of have some variance there. If he shoots like he does in the regular season, if Evan Mobley plays a little bit better, then maybe, you know, there's the the cyclical effect there, right, where the Knicks don't get out in transition as much. 
It makes things a little bit easier. You get confidence going and it's a longer series. But the Knicks deserve full credit and the Cavs deserve credit for taking that loss seriously, right? Yeah. Saying we're not just going to rely on the internal growth, although that's going to be the major determining factor. We're going to go out and we're going to add the right rotation pieces. We're going to add a lot of shooting. We're going to add some size. Um, so I, I, I think it was definitely an illustrative series. Um, I actually had the Cavs win in a series. I yeah, think, you did. Josh. You did. Yeah, you okay. did. I did. I did. Okay. Good yeah. friend. I'm trying to rub it in. But yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. You uh, and me both. Yeah, hey. <laughs> well, J- Justin, it's understandable I'll, that you did. I, I get why you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, the reason why, also, partly the reason why I did is because um, there are a lot of ex-Nets players that are on the Cavs that I, I'm a lifelong yep. Nets fan. So one of them being Jared Allen, who, like, I love. Why Why did he say the lights were too bright? Why, why did he <laughs> you know what? Honestly, I, I've got a take for you here. Okay. Um, because – Mitchell and Garland have said similar things where Mitchell's like, you know, we were a little rattled. It was loud in the garden and stuff like that. I would rather have Jared Allen being confident enough to kind of admit like collectively the lights were a little too bright than being like defensive and being like, no, 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 we were ready for it. We just, you know, weird things happen. Like I, I, I give him a little bit of props for saying that. Like that, meme is going to live forever now yeah, and that yeah. sucks for him but you know like he just turned 25 years old jared allen has been a driving force for the Cavs' success and i i just feel like this is the type of group that's going to bounce back from you know getting getting embarrassed in that way because they came like i always break up the regular season and postseason as two different parts of the year because yeah. like when you're a fan you're talking about a four or five month stretch of my life where three to four times a week, I am measuring, are you making me have fun? Am I having a good yeah. winter here? Yeah. Especially living in Canada. It's minus 50 out here oh, half the time, right? Like oh, this, this is all I've got. So the fact that the Cavs had such a great regular season, I still like, I, I, I cherish that. And I think it was a successful year, um, yeah. but the playoffs were a failure. So I'm interested to see how they bounce back from that. Was, um, I know, I know that um, we we mentioned heat culture earlier, and one of the driving forces of the Heat being successful in the playoffs was Kevin Love, who yep. who left you guys. Was it when looking back on it, do you think he would have helped during the playoff series if you guys still had him? Yeah, I I, I think so. I mean, I I wasn't really expecting him to be very productive against uh, New York, but he was good in that series, and you know that that's one of those tough things to measure because when you look at it. Like when Miami added Kevin Love, he was not good for the yep. regular season, right? Right. Like the, the the rest of the year, but they gave him a lot of minutes and they were making an investment that, hey, if we give him enough time here, we can turn things around. The Cavs were, you know, in a, a different position, right? Where they were losing all of his minutes. Like January was their worst month. They went 500 in it and his minutes were a disaster. Um, it was actually a loss to the Knicks that got him yanked out of the rotation pretty much permanently. And um, you, you know, I, I just don't know if he's not getting those starters minutes. Does he get comfortable in time? Uh, he wasn't effective in the play in either. Um, and Miami wasn't even able to play him in those two games. Um, so it, it's one of those tough things, but you know, when you look at the Cavs needs in that series and even the Cavs needs now, like a back of four that gives you defensive rebounding that spaces the floor. That's not something that they have. And that's one of my questions about them coming into this year. So, yeah, like a, a theoretical Kevin Love would have made a big difference. You know, Dean Wade having physical setbacks with his separated collarbone. Yeah. Um, that obviously hurt because that that was supposed to be kind of the replacement there in the rotation. Um, but you know what? Uh, it, 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 hindsight's 50-50. I didn't love uh, getting him bought out. 
I, I don't know everything that went on behind the scenes there, but um, it definitely was one of those kind of losses that you take along the way when it comes to team building. Gotcha. So you mentioned before how we were talking about the, the pace, the slow pace of the Cavaliers and how you think the shooting might help with that. Is there anything else you would like Bickerstaff to implement um, so they're not so reliant on Garland and, and Mitchell, maybe Mobley, you know, some, some sets from Mobley where he can be a playmaker or something like that? Yeah, I, I definitely want, uh, like, talk about heat culture. Yeah. I want Mobley, I hope Mobley spent a lot of this summer uh, watching Tape of Bam out of bio because the, the Cavs were the, when it comes to, like, cuts, points off of cuts, they had the second most frequent points off of cuts in the league last year. And they were doing that without much spacing. They were also the most efficient team when it came to points off of cuts. And a lot of that was using Mobley as a hub, using him um, in the short role uh, and a lot of those scenarios. And I definitely want to see, especially when you stagger, where, you know, I, I think the whole kind of beauty of having Mobley and Allen and Garland and Mitchell is you can always have at least one elite playmaker and one elite defender on the court at all times. When it's just like Garland and Mobley, I want to see Mobley develop a lot more of that playmaking, yeah. especially with spacing around them. Um, I'd be really interested to see that aspect of his game develop. And I think one of the biggest things is he's great as a passer in those scenarios, and the Cavs are creative in generating movement uh, even without shooting. I want to see that movement evolve now that they do have shooting, right? Because just because you're able to get creative with the personnel you have doesn't necessarily mean the offense is automatically going to evolve with adding new pieces. So that's a big JB question. And then the Mobley part of it is, can he be more effective on the keep in those scenarios, right? Like yeah. that pull-up jumper uh, from the free throw line in, right? The, the floater, when being a little stronger when he takes it all the way to the rim. There were far too many times when Mitchell Robinson's just staying underneath the basket and being like, you're not going to take this floater. Like, and, and Mobley, rather than taking the, the pull-up jumper or, or throwing the floater, uh, he would dribble into him. And, you know, some yeah. of those passes went off the backboard and um, he just wasn't confident in those spots. So, even though it was a strength of him throughout the regular season, building upon that strength and getting it to a point where that's going to translate to the playoffs, I think is a really important thing for them. What do you think? What is, do you think uh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to ask the same question. I was going to ask, what do you think his ceiling, ceiling exactly. is when it comes hey, to mobile? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man, I, I think he can be really special. Like, I think that he's the type of guy that can get into, you know, that defensive player of the year conversation and offensively, like, if he can be a seven-foot man out of bio instead of a six-nine one, like, I, I'm interested to see what that combination means, right? And, and it's funny because that's, you know, an archetype that doesn't always get the respect it deserves. Like, Bam's been such a major piece for Miami, and he's only made the all-star team twice out of six years. So I, I don't know necessarily like how to measure it in terms of accolades, um, but I, I definitely think he can be that kind of player. And we, we'll see like how far he can go when it comes to that kind of yeah. stuff. Like I'd like to see him at a three point shot, but I don't think that's as essential. Right. Like I, I want to see that mid range game. I, I want to see him develop off the dribble, the passing and all that kind of stuff. So I have. I guess the elephant in the room with the Cavs is, is the Donovan Mitchell situation and the contract and whether he's going to stay where he's going to go. What's your feel of that? And what's what's the feel among Cavs fans? Like what he's going to do? Yeah, I think there's like some paranoia and PTSD. I mean, you're talking yeah. about Max Drews hitting shots. How can you not have that after? <laughs> the, the, the way Take that LeBron back. James went, right? <laughs> um, but you look at the reporting and like the number one priority when people close to Donovan Mitchell talk about him always is winning, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, he's going to want to be in the best situation for him, right? So 
you're always going to have like the looming Knicks and stuff like that. But I don't worry about it too much at this point because, you know, even if Donovan Mitchell was fully bought in right now, so much can change throughout the course of a year. You have to, as a team, especially in the modern NBA, it's a partnership with players, right? Like you want to make sure that they're collaborating with you, that everyone's on the same page, that they feel like this is going in the right direction. And if the Cavs do their part, I, I feel like a, a, he will would extend with the Cavs, right? Like if they convince him that this is the best spot for him to win, then, he, you know, you want to look at an extension there. And like in theory, Donovan Mitchell, like he doesn't have the playmaking chops to play the point guard. So he, if he's always playing shooting guard, that means he's almost always going to be part of a small backcourt. Unless he's playing with like right. Shea or Halliburton, it's going to be a small backcourt. So playing with, you know, a point guard that's so good on and off ball like Darius Garland, that's already, you know, that's a great fit. Yeah. If you're going to have a small backcourt, you're going to want to have that backline support. Yeah, and, you know, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, that's exactly the type of archetype that you have. So if Garland, Mobley, Allen, like if they don't take the step forward that we think and, and they're not the players that we think and it's not the right situation for um, Donovan Mitchell uh, to win, that might be like a, a evaluation that the Cavs themselves make of, do we really want to extend Donovan Mitchell if this fit isn't right, right? Like oh, um, Maybe and, we don't and, want you, Donovan. <laughs> right, right. Like, I'm saying that yeah. in, in the modern, like that's, you know, you have to look at both yeah, sides of it. Now, I, I expect... Like, if you put a gun to my head, I, I think there's going to be an extension because stars just don't hit free agency anymore, okay. right? Like, yeah. they, they 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 extend, and then you evaluate. Right, and maybe right. two years later, we're looking at this. Uh, okay, is, is this working out? Is this not? Right. Um, but I, I don't worry about it because nothing's really guaranteed in the NBA, and I feel like this is a very good fit for him. And um, as long as the Cavs do their part and uh, this core is as good as we think it can be, um, I, I think they're going to have a very compelling pitch when it comes to uh, extension talks. Um, outside of outside of like the I guess the core four, is there anybody you expect to make a impact or make a jump to help the team take another step? And I, I would love to say Isaac Okoro here, just because like you know he is the same age as Evan Mobley, which I, I think people overlook. Uh, you look at his last hundred games; he's shooting thirty eight percent from three. There's just not the volume to it. Uh, obviously, a lot of those looks are wide open. Um, but I'm interested to see, especially if he's coming in off the bench, um, he's going to have more space, right? Like he's going to be playing with only one big out there. Maybe you're playing him a little more at shooting guard. Uh, like, I, I'd like to see him kind of follow that Josh Hart path uh, of being someone that mm. impacts the game in a lot of ways, gets the 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 kind of event defense of steals and blocks, gets the rebounds, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I'm interested to see his growth there. But honestly, it might be Max Drews. Like, I, I just think they haven't had a movement shooter like that, someone that's so confident of taking those shots. And if you're looking to develop Mobley as a playmaker and implement a lot of kind of like those Bam and Draymond type sets, having a guy that's played in that kind of system is a real, real benefit, right? Because Max Drews knows where to be, not only when he's involved in kind of those three-man actions, he knows when he's on the weak side of how to get into those passing lanes. He, he's going to be someone that can be in Mobley's ear about optimizing those scenarios and, and taking advantage of it. He can provide some secondary playmaking too. I, I'm just really excited for what he can bring to this team. Now, Obviously, we haven't started, you know, we haven't not even preseason yet, so we don't know what the Cavs are going to look like, theoretically. But if I gave you, like, the GM hat right now, and it's a trade deadline, what, do you, what are you looking for? What position are you looking for? What type of archetype are you looking for um, to help this Cavs team moving forward? 
Yeah, I, I mean, ideally, uh, you're you're looking for that Kevin Love type, right? Okay. Like that that backup. <laughs> Just four. had him. You're, you're looking. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, you're you're looking for that third big that can space the floor, right? Okay. Because I I think, like I I love having Mobley and Allen on this team. I, I think you know when you're able to have each of them play 16 minutes at center and then 16 minutes together, you got 48 minutes of a really high end uh, center play. Right. And having the right guy to play the four alongside that to, to make those combinations work, I, I think would be ideal. Um, I, I do think George Deang is going to be nice in that role, um, but he doesn't bring you kind of the rebound that right. you want. Right. And there's yeah. going to be some matchups defensively where yeah. maybe that can get a little bit tricky. So I, I think that that's probably the position that you look at the most. Like, I, I'm, if we're talking about the trade deadline, I, I really do think that Karis LeVert's going to have a nice role with this team. Like, he really developed as a playmaker. I don't think people realize he shot 39% from he three last well. year he as well. He played well in the series against the yeah. Knicks, too. He played well. Yeah, and he's improved as a defender as well. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what more spacing does for him because he's always been just such a high-level pick-and-roll ball handler. But, you know, he might be that expendable piece, okay. right? Like, if you do get development... Uh, out of Isaac Okor, if Ty Jerome really kind of finds his footing, that might be the piece that you have to to go out and address needs at the deadline or or bring in uh, a bigger wing. Because I think like if the Cavs have the opportunity to bring in a wing, where um, you know maybe it it's just a, a salary that a team doesn't necessarily like, and, and Cleveland can take advantage of that scenario. Yeah. I think you still do that, right? Like I, I think Max Drews is going to help with the starting lineup a lot. But he's also a guy that if he's coming in off the bench and playing at the three, uh, two and three, I feel really good about that as well. Yeah. So um, if there's an opportunity at a bigger wing, that'd be great. I don't really see that as realistic. So that's why I kind of had that backup four position in mind. I got I got a name for you that was kind of rumored. Uh, Royce O'Neal from the Nets. <laughs> Royce stop, stop trying to make deals. Royce? Stop trying to bring the I'm band not trying back to make together. Deals. Look, you want the band no, back listen. together. They're not coming back Royce. together. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I even saw him working out with the Cavs <laughs> in the offseason. Donovan, Donovan sure Mitchell is his best friend. Well, exactly. Look, if you could get a best friend Donovan Mitchell on this team, like I, 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 I would happen. love to have him. Again, he doesn't really have the size, right? Like I think Royce is only six four or whatever, but he plays a little bit bigger than his size. So similar to Max Drews in that way, but. The more wings, the better, man. Like, I, I, I would love to have Royce uh, on the Cavs. All right. So, going to put you on the spot here. I know it's early again. I know it's, we haven't had preseason. Don't know what the season looks like. But if you were to predict what the Cavs are going to be this year, where they're going to finish, what the playoffs are going to look like, what would your prediction be? I think that, and you, you look at it last year, 51 wins. Um not the most deep team. I think they really improved their depth. And they also had among the most player games missed last year, right? Like they weren't particularly healthy. You look at Philadelphia getting worse. I don't really love what Boston did. Uh, I think they might be a little bit uneven in the regular season. Uh, I think the Cavs are probably going to finish in that two to three range okay. in, in the East in terms of regular season. Okay. Now, if I'm power ranking, like how much confidence I have in teams in the playoffs, I'm not putting the Cavs at two or three, right? <laughs> okay. Like they're, they're they're going to need to go out and prove it. But you know, if Porzingis is missing time, you know Miami. Even if they get Dame, all of those guys miss time. Uh, Philadelphia is a mess. Like I, I, there's just a lot of teams that 
are for one reason or another probably not going to live up to expectations in the regular season and milwaukee might change their approach too right, right. like you don't have budenholzer in there that's trying to kill teams on every single one of those nights uh <laughs> where you know it, it it's monday in charlotte and we're going to beat them by 50 right like they, they might take a bit of a different approach with such a veteran heavy team so i think the Cavs are going to get about 55 56 wins two three range in the eastern conference and hopefully that helps Puts them in a better position to win around this year. How um, many all stars you expect from the team? Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna go two. I'm gonna go two. I'm gonna go two. I, I think Garland got snubbed last year. I think some of that had to do with you know missing so much time at the start of the year with uh, Gary Trent Jr. poking his eye out in, in the first game of the season. Yeah. Um, but I, I I expect a big leap uh, from Darius Garland as well. I, I think that this is a, a year where he really comes into his own. All right. Well, Justin Rowan, thank you for coming on the show, representing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let everybody know where they can find you, your podcast, all that good stuff, anything you got going on. Absolutely. So wherever you guys were listening to this podcast, you can find the Chase Down podcast. We talk about the Cavs. We talk about the rest of the NBA. Uh, we go off season once a week, twice a week during the regular season. We usually stream live uh, to the Cavs YouTube channel, so you can subscribe there. Uh, nice. and, and we go live, and you don't miss a broadcast that way. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at as well at Cavs Canada, just slap the Cavs in Canada and you'll find me there. I apologize <laughs> nice. for everything you find after that point. I, I, <laughs> I take no responsibility for any of my actions. Quick, how did you become a Cavs fan in Canada? Man, <laughs> was it LeBron? It's, a uh, question. it's probably it, LeBron, right? You know, we LeBron was a big factor of yeah. it. Um, you know, we got lost Central Division games here, uh, living right in like the middle of Canada. I didn't want to jump on the Bulls bandwagon because mm. even though Mike was gone, it's like, you know, that like there's so many Bulls fans. It was between Detroit and Cleveland uh, uh, and yeah. LeBron kind of sealed it for me. <laughs> then post decision, like Winnipeg's got a cursed sports history. We've started to turn around a little bit okay. now. We're, we're winning more. Yeah. But after the decision, I started relating to Cleveland even more. And that's when I started <laughs> blogging about the team. That's when I started podcasting about the team. And, and uh, I've been a Cavs fan ever since. All right, man. Well, sounds Very good. Nice. Thanks for joining us. Great guest. Great guys. We'll have you on during the season. Definitely when the Cavs make a move or something relevant happening. Cavaliers. <laughs> All right. Listen, if you want to follow yeah. Dime, you can on Twitter, Instagram, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at the Dime NBA. I'm Josh Rodriguez at Josh underscore Rodriguez underscore. He's Quab at Quab AKS. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Dime. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.